We are on week number four of a, of a sermon series called Reaching the Remnant. And um, you've, you've probably noticed that every week is building on the other and it's going to do the same thing tonight. I want to jump right in. So everybody got their thinking cap on? Yep. All right. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give you this whole sermon in one sentence like you know that I like to do. Write it down. Here it is. The devil's desire is to devour every donut decorated with sprinkles. I will come back and explain that. You guys know that we are uh, we're going through the book of Daniel and we're hoping to learn how to live in this world with the heart of a remnant just like Daniel did, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did in their time during their 70-year captivity, Israel's 70-year captivity to Babylon. And and I've told you this just about every week, and and I want to remind you because this is important. But in Scripture, Egypt and what God did there with the people of Israel is a picture of how he brought us out of bondage in and through Christ Jesus. Amen? But Babylon, when we look at Babylon, and especially here in the book of Daniel, what happens there, that is a picture of how God sustains us in the world through his Holy Spirit. Okay, that's a very important detail for you to know as we go through this sermon series. There were so many people at that time during that 70-year captivity that caved under the pressures, under the expectations of King Nebuchadnezzar and the, and the culture that he had created there. So many people that compromised their faith in their God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But there was a small portion of people There was a faithful remnant who said, we're going to keep praying when the world tells us to stop. We may face a furnace of fire, but we'll never bow down. Amen? Now, think about it. For someone to be able to make that statement and then literally walk towards a flame that's so hot that it would melt your face off before you got there. You know, that's essentially what it says in uh, Daniel chapter 3 when it's given that story. And we'll get there. But it says that the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldier who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to drop him into it. It killed him before before he even got there. You guys know what a bonfire feels like, right? How many of you know what a bonfire feels like? We're heading into October and we all have bonfires or maybe, maybe you don't know what a bonfire is. Maybe you know what burning brush is though. You guys know burning brush or burning trash at your house. How many of you know you get a bonfire that's so big, you, you, you can't even get close to it. You're like, you know, you're squinting and your eye, you start smelling this weird smell. And what it is, is your hair and your eyebrows, you know? I remember one time Melissa and I were at her sister's house and uh, we were burning a huge brush pile, all kinds of trees and stuff that went down. And it was so big and it was so hot that you're just like, you can't even get close enough to it, you know? And I look over and my brother-in-law has the, 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 you know, five gallon, bucket of uh, gasoline that he had used to kind of start it. And then all of a sudden he just kind of did this thing like this and he ran and he threw it at the fire. And it's like all the world went slow motion. I'm like, no. And you're almost trying to grab it before it gets there. It hits it. No, it was so hot that before it even landed, it was boom. The house shook and the ladies came running out of the house and me and the, we were just like, we looked back. They thought we had, you know, died. 
So anyway, I don't know what made me think about that just now, but I, I was, oh, I just thought about burn barrels. You guys know what, a, you guys, how many of you remember burn barrels? Y'all remember burn bar- barrel? If you're, some of you are too young to remember what a burn barrel is, but there was a day when if you lived out in the country, you could have one of those, uh, whatever, how many 50 gallon drum, 55 gallon drums, and you would put it out there and you would burn your trash in it and you would just burn it until the ashes would go up and then you would, you know, go get a new burn barrel. Well, my chore as a kid was to burn the trash. I was the trash burner. I remember one time I'm burning the trash. I was probably 10, 10 or 11, my youngest son, Rowan's age, and I'm burning the trash. And, you know, when you're that age, you're not really thinking. You're just, you know, the fire's going. You get another bag of trash and you just throw it in there. But I'm looking over the fire, and it's kind of the same way. It's a little hot, but all of a sudden, boom! And I was just going like this because something landed on my face, and it was a bottle. I just hit myself really hard. (laughs) So sorry. I had a big old cup of coffee right before this. Anyway, I, so I, I went like this and, it, and there was something hurting my face. And, and what it was, it was a, like a two liter bottle of Coke that exploded right onto my face. And so I went in and fortunately I'd gotten it off quick enough to, to where it didn't permanently scar. But for a few weeks, I did have literally a number two. It looked like a number two on my face. Crazy. You think about these three boys that headed into the furnace, what were they thinking? Like, where did they get the resolve to go into that, face that fire without any fear? Think about it. We know what that, we know what that feels like to be up against a, a hot burning bonfire or brush fire or whatever. It's, 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 it's hot. And then think about Daniel. What was Daniel thinking? Daniel's going, he's being lowered down into that lion's den. What in the world was he thinking? You know what I'd be thinking? (laughs) Get me out of (laughs) here. That made me think of uh, a couple of years ago. You guys know the Singermans? We pray for missionaries every week. And the Singermans are in Israel. Okay. And uh, they have a son, their youngest son, Josiah. And, and every now and then he'll come and spend a week or so with us. And a few years ago, I don't know how old he was, but he was, I don't know, 10, if that. And so we took him to the zoo like good East Texans would do, you know. And we're going around the zoo and it was a lot of fun. And him and my boys were playing with stuff. And there was, we got around to the pond where the alligator is. You guys know what the Tyler Zoo, where the alligator's at? And you can never see the alligators. They're in there, but you don't know where, you know. So anyway, we're playing. The boys had something that they were playing with. And they were, you know, on the side of the fence. And it dropped over into the little, across the fence. Well, there's a fence that's high and then there's the fence that's low. You guys know what I'm talking about? And so there's actually like maybe a four or five foot gap there. Well, Josiah, before we could even say anything, jumps over the outside fence and gets down there to grab it. And I kid you not, an alligator came and went, whoa, and hit the outside fence. And before, man, I'm telling you, before he even knew what was happening, he was back up over that fence. It was crazy. But think about it. Daniel refused to stop praying. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they refused to bow down to that detestable image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now listen, I have three sons. And I don't know if the persecution of the church that's happening all over the world, I don't know if it'll ever make it to my nation, if, if I will ever have to experience that in my lifetime, you know, it's possible, but it's very possible. Wouldn't you agree? 
that in my children's lifetime, there may be a day where they themselves have to face some sort of persecution against the saints. And I ask myself in this moment, I ask myself all the time, will my three boys, will my three boys have the same resolve that those three boys had when they went into the fire? Will Aiden, Cannon, and Rowan remain faithful when so many around them will most likely not be? Will they be a remnant, a remnant if and when that day comes? And of course, I pray that they will, but they will have to make their own decisions, right? Just like your kids are going to have to make their own decisions if that day were to ever come. Will I follow God's will for my life? Or will I follow Satan's will for my life? You did know that there's two wills for your life, right? Oh yeah. John chapter 10, verse 10 tells us that there are two who are coming for you. Right? John 10 tells us there's a contrast between two kinds of shepherds and both have the desire to lead your life. Verse 10, it says that the thief comes... That shepherd that would like to lead your life comes, but he comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, but I, the good shepherd, he goes on to say, I have come. See, two are coming. The thief and then the good shepherd have come. Jesus comes that you may have life and life to the full. See, the devil is a thief. He's a taker. Jesus is a giver, we just read, but the devil is a taker. He wants to shepherd you. He wants to lead you to your death. And of course, we're familiar with 1 Peter chapter 3. We talk about it all the time, but it says that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And you know what his favorite meal is, right? Everybody know what the devil's favorite snack is? The book of Daniel tells us. So let's go there. Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter one, I'm just going to read. We've read some of this before, but let's, let's dig this out a little bit. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Verse three says, then the king ordered Ashpenaz, everybody say Ashpenaz, the king of his officials to bring in some of the sons of Israel. Okay, did you see it? Was everybody able to pick up what Satan's favorite snack is? What his favorite food is? Let me, let me, let me go through it again. Okay, it says that the ruler of Babylon, Jesus said in John 12 that the devil is the ruler of this world. Okay, so the ruler of Babylon came to Jerusalem, God's city. Remember, the thief comes only to. So Nebuchadnezzar comes into God's city, the city of God, and then he takes things from the house of God, from the tabernacle, puts them in his house of his God. And it says that he even took some of the young boys, the young men. Okay, do you see it now? Can you tell what the enemy's favorite food is? Everybody look up here, let me tell you. It's our kids. 
Children that live in homes that serve God. Listen, it's his favorite snack. You might remember in Joshua chapter 24 when Joshua said, everybody needs to choose this day whom they're going to serve. You guys can serve the God of this world, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Isn't that what we declare over our families? I mean, it is, right? That's what's implied when we show up to a place like this to gather in his name to worship. That's the implication that our goal is to go for God. Well, guess what? That makes our kids a delectable snack for the enemy automatically. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, Tony, I think you might be reading into this text a little bit too much. Well, let's keep reading. In verse three, it says that the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of the officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family. What does Peter tell us in 1 Peter 2, 9? That Christians are a royal priesthood, right? He goes on to say, bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles. It was the apostle Paul who said that the mind of every Christian is supposed to be on whatever's true, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is excellent and praiseworthy. Philippians chapter four, verse eight. And then he says, bring in some of the sons of Israel Verse four, youths in whom was no defect. Okay, guess where that same Hebrew word for defect is? It's the word moom, by the way. It's kind of a fun word. Everybody want to say it? Moom. Guess where that same word is used? It's when God tells Moses to tell Aaron that only those without defect, without blemish can serve him in the priesthood. Again, Peter says that the children of God are a royal priesthood. Are y'all following me? He goes on to say that, that this, these sons of Israel need to be good looking. They need to show intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge. I read this this week and it made me think of Ephesians chapter one where the apostle Paul says that I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory may give to you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. This is what father God wants for his children is that we possess wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. You guys seeing the build up here? Then it says, these sons of Israel, sons of Israel who had the ability to serve in the king's palace. Now your translation may actually read uh, to stand in the king's courts or to stand in the king's palace. I thought about Jude, the book of Jude over in the New Testament. It's only one chapter, one chapter. Jude gets one chapter in the New Testament. And here's what he says. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. Okay, and and I don't know if you've ever read the book of Jude. He gets one book, and of all the things that he could have talked about in his one chapter, one book, chapter, book, that he could have talked about, guess what he talks about? Shepherds 
who come in to steal virtue, to steal the values from the children of God. And he says, don't worry, God is able to keep you from stumbling. He will make you stand blameless without defect. Okay, you guys seeing this? He's coming after Christian kids. The enemy is coming after kids from godly homes. Satan targets our homes. Like our kids, your kids. And I said it this way, the devil desires to devour every donut decorated with sprinkles. I feel like I owe you an explanation. The, the devil is hungry. True? And it says that he prowls around looking for something to devour. Well, the way I saw it today, or the, actually the other day, is that for the enemy, children are like donuts. Children are like the perfect snack. Think about it. How many times does is, is he go for the kids in the Bible? Story after story after story where he goes for the kids. But the devil doesn't just like donuts. <laughs> he likes donuts. He likes young people with sprinkles. He's going after children from godly families. And why is that? Because he remembers what God told Moses back in Exodus chapter 34. Remember uh, Moses said, God, show me your glory. You remember that? We sing songs about that. Third day, nailed it. You know what I mean? Show me your glory. Show me your glory. What he's saying is, show me who you are. If you've never read the story, go back and read it. This part, it says that the Lord passed in front of Moses and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious. Listen, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands of generations who forgives iniquities for thousands of generations, transgressions and sins for thousands of generations. And then he says, and yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquities of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. See, Nebuchadnezzar didn't want just any kids. He wanted the kids from royal families. He wanted the kids from noble families. He wanted the ones that were already filled with wisdom, who already possessed knowledge and already had the ability to understand. He wanted the best. We said that a couple weeks ago. He wanted the best and he wanted the brightest because he knew, listen, if I can take a whole generation of young people and saturate them with the literature and the language of Babylon, which is what it goes on to say in this very next verse that we'll look at in a minute. If I can rewire their values, if I can reshape their minds, if I can rip away their virtue, not only will I have captured that generation, but also their children and their grandchildren, and on and on to the third and the fourth generation. The devil knows scripture too. Amen? So Nebuchadnezzar told Ashpenaz, 
bring me the young ones with sprinkles. I'm going to build them up in the ways of our world. They're going to serve in my palace. They weren't just donuts, you guys. They were donuts with sprinkles. You guys hear what I'm saying? (laughs) Take a guess at what Ashpenaz's name means. I I couldn't believe it. And it was was after I'd already come up with this sermon in a sentence. His, His name means, I will make prominent the sprinkled. When I read that, I, I got out of my chair. Started walking around the room. I said, are you kidding me? Because I was just trying to find a silly way of saying our kids are above and beyond good. You know what I mean? You got your donuts, but then you got sprinkled donuts. I read that and I almost yelled at somebody. But I was alone and there was nobody to yell at. Listen to me. Satan's been around a long time. And one thing that he has learned is that in every generation, every generation will be led by someone. Someone will have prominence. I will make prominent the sprinkled. Is what Ashpenaz is named, the guy that was to deal with the, the chief of the eunuchs, the chief. That was his name. I will make prominent the sprinkled. <laughs> every generation is led by someone of prominence. And whoever that is, whoever that person is or those leaders are will determine the course of a nation. Those people will determine the course of a city, the course of a church, all the way down to the course of a family. You guys hear what I'm saying? So he focuses great energy on stealing away godly values and virtues and replacing it with his own. The very next thing that it tells us in in verse four is that Ashpenaz was ordered to teach these guys the literature and language of Babylon. And we're going to talk about that next week. It's, It's fascinating how similar it is to what the enemy's doing with this generation. Same scheme going on. Okay, so... I have, some, I have some good news and some bad news. I'm going to go ahead and give you the bad news first. Okay, you ready? The bad news is Nebuchadnezzar's plan was highly successful. Nebuchadnezzar had the longest reign of any of the leaders in the uh, Neo-Babylonian Empire. The guy was very successful. And he was able to capture and, and overcome a lot of the powerful nations around him. And guess what? He used the same tactic. He went into all of these nations and he did the same thing. He took the youngest and finest, the best and brightest, and he brought them into his courts. It wasn't just young Jewish boys there. It was, it was young men from everywhere. It's the same thing. And it was, he was successful. That's the bad news. The good news is his plan wasn't 100% foolproof. Look at verse six. Now among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names. Ashpenaz gave them new names to Daniel, Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, 
and to Azariah, Abednego. I can't wait to talk about that because it is a direct attack on the identity and destiny, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, of a generation. Are you looking forward to it? I am. I'm already getting a little happy. Okay? Look at verse 18. You guys know that he took them for a period of three years and was going to train them in the literature and the language of the Babylonians. And down in verse 18, we're going to skip a little bit. It says, at the end of those days when the king had specified for the presenting of them, the training and the presenting, the commander of the officials presented these guys before Nebuchadnezzar, not just these four, but all the young men that had been taken captive and gone through this three-year training. And it says that the king talked with them, these four, and out of them, and out of them all, Not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Did y'all know that it said that? Turns out they were the best of the best of the best. It goes on to say, so they entered the king's personal service. As as for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in his realm. We just learned that he was so successful and he conquered many nations. His realm was large. We're talking about, we're talking about magicians and conjurers of all ages in all of the realm. These four guys were better than all of them. Come on, that'll preach. And we know that, that not only did these guys not bow down, we, we know that, and we'll talk more about it, but these guys left a legacy. They had an impact that went far beyond a third or fourth or fifth or sixth generation. We're talking, it spanned thousands of years. We're affected right now in this moment by the quality of these guys, right? It's because they weren't, listen to me, they weren't just sprinkled donuts. Like they were cream-filled eclairs. You guys hear what I'm saying? They was good. They were filled with something that no one else was. It goes on in, in, in chapter 6, and we'll get there later. It says that Daniel became distinguished above all the other officials in that, in that time because an excellent spirit was in him. Cream-filled. Holy Spirit-filled. Amen? These guys were not only, and please dial in. We're going to kind of start landing here. These guys were not only of noble blood. And I don't know if you realize that, but Daniel and these guys were of noble blood. But they weren't only of noble blood. They were noble-minded. And believe me, there's a difference. Isn't there? It's the same with us. I can be a Christian, but not have the mind of Christ. You can live in a godly home and not have the same values or walk in the same virtues that are being passed down by those who are prominent in your home, your mom and your dad. This is true of a church. At Soma, we say that we have shared values and we hope that everyone that comes in will share those values. But it's possible to even be a part of a church and not actually have the same virtuous heart and share the values and walk in those things. And listen, when that happens, an entire culture can shift. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, about how our families, our homes 
can have a particular culture. Please go back and listen to that. And listen, the Apostle Paul knew this. This is why he wraps up the whole, the whole letter to the Philippians by saying, finally, brothers, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. He doesn't even say think about it. He says meditate. Chew it up over and over and over again. Get it in you, inside of you. How many of you know what the word virtue means? We, we use that word and Paul uses that word. And we don't really use it a whole lot, but it, it really just means an, an excellent course of thought. That's what virtue is. It's an excellent course of thought. Okay, these four Jewish boys, which by the way, they would have been between the ages of 13 and 17. Most scholars believe, there's some that would say they were older and maybe even whatever. But most would say, these, these, because it even tells us, young men of Judah, young men of Israel, 13 to 17, very moldable, very impressionable. And yet these guys were found to be 10 times better than all the other boys. You cannot tell me that is not directly connected to the fact that they would not bow down and that they would not stop praying. It's absolutely connected. How would we want to respond? If we came under persecution, how would we, how would Tony, how would you want to respond if you were told to renounce your faith, to forfeit your faith, or you're going to lose your life? Or go a little further, how would you want your kids, your teenagers, your young ones, if they were faced with that, how would you want them to respond? At the core of who we are, we would want to say, we would want them to proclaim Christ, even if it meant they faced the furnace of fire. To have that immovable conviction that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had. We would want them to choose that day to follow Christ, right? But listen, to overcome on that day means that we will have already had to have been noble-minded. Here's what I want to end with. We have got to raise noble-minded, Christ-minded. If we are royalty in Christ, we've got to think like royalty. We have to think right thoughts, pure thoughts, noble thoughts. And our kids, will they bow down then? It depends on what they learn now. Amen. Here's what I want to give you. 10 virtues of a noble-minded overcomer. There's obviously way more, but I'm going to give you 10 virtues of a noble-minded overcomer. If you are more simple-minded, you can just write how to put sprinkles on your donuts. Virtue number one, no particular order, humility. Let's teach our kids how to value others above ourselves 
and call out behavior that is rooted in pride. Let me pause and just say, some of you aren't even married yet, much less have kids. Some of you have kids. You're about to be challenged. You're about to be inspired. You're about to be angry. You're about to be frustrated. You're about to experience regret. You're about to experience hope. It's going to be a myriad of emotions. But this is what I'm talking about. I do believe that we are in the last time days. And I do believe that the persecution on several, some level will increase. There will be an opportunity to deny our Lord on some level. Will it be our life? Maybe not. But could it be? Maybe not for me, but maybe my three boys or yours. One virtue that our kids must possess is humility. So let's teach our kids how to value others above themselves. And you guys know the word for this year. Called out. Call out behavior that is rooted in pride. For the sake of time, I'm going to tell you, uh, well, the scriptures are up there, so you can write those down. Number two, respect. The value of respect. I remember my, my stepmom brought home a big volume of books when I was a little kid, maybe seven or eight. I loved these books. They were, they were about this tall, and they were white, and they were called the value of books. I think my dad and my, my, my mom and my stepmom would say there's a lot of things they didn't do very well as parents. But if I could affirm them and say one of the best purchases you ever made was the value of books. And I remember the value of honesty was about the story of Abraham Lincoln. The value of trust I mean, it was everything from Cochise to uh, Johnny Appleseed to, I mean, all kinds of characters. They would use those people to present a value. And they probably didn't think I was picking it up then. They were like, oh, Lord, he don't value anything. There's no virtue in this boy. But it will catch on. Let's teach our kids how to honor their elders and peers by interacting with kindness and call out ill-mannered behavior. Call it out, parents. Their spiritual lives depend upon it. Patience. Let's teach our kids the value of waiting and call out whining about not getting what they want when they want it. Forgiveness is a virtue. Let's teach our kids that holding on to grudges harms us more than it does our offender and call out any unwillingness to extend grace. Can I get an amen in the house? compassion. Let's teach our kids how to help and encourage those who are hurting and call out judgmental behaviors that keep them from reaching out with love. Diligence is a wonderful virtue. 
Let's teach our kids to treat every task as an opportunity to please God and call out every form of laziness and negativity towards hard work. Can I get an amen? We say amen, but this is hard, parents. And let me tell you why. I'll push pause. It's because we care more about being their friend than we do a prominent leader in their home. We have been placed to build the prominence of the sprinkled. Ashpenaz is a distortion of who they were supposed to be raised under. Their parents, they were stolen from their parents. The idea that you have to be afraid of your kids or that you can't parent them with prominence That's the enemy that's come in and robbed that from us. We're the ones that are called to be prominent in the lives of the sprinkled and help them become prominent themselves. Amen? Contentment. Let's teach our kids how to have peace and joy when life is not exactly how we hoped it would be and call them out when they complain about their situation. Honesty. Let's teach our kids to tell the truth even when it hurts and to call out every type of deceptive behavior. Here's number nine. Generosity. Let's teach our kids to freely give of themselves and their treasures and call out stingy, selfish behavior. Like, call it out. Yeah, buddy, I know that that's yours, but can you share? No. Oh, yes, you can. <laughs> well, that's cruel. You know what's more cruel? The day that's coming when it says that people will be headed, be beheaded for the sake of, of Christ. It's already happening. The question is, is when is it going to happen here? Will it happen in our time, our kids' time? I don't know. But what about our great-grandkids, the third or fourth generation down? Because it's getting dumber and dumber and dumber, isn't it? The faith is being dumbed down more. And when we talked about that, Jesus said, when I return, will I find any faith upon the earth? So who we are as parents and what we create, the, prom- the prominent sprinkled donuts now, and pass that on. Y'all, y'all with me? This is the last one, right? Of course it is. You save the best for last because we're going to need this one. Courage. It's a virtue. It's not a personality type. It's not a leaning or a bend. It's a virtue that someone learns. That's why it says we haven't been given a spirit of fear, but of love and power and of sound mind. We've been given that, not a spirit of fear, unless that's what you're picking up. So let's teach our kids to face their fears head on and call them out when they're letting their emotions 
rule their decisions. Let's stand. I want to pray over the saints here at Soma Church. Lots of parents in this room. Last week we dedicated nine or ten babies. And that's not even all of them. We got more to come. We had two children. Young boys, in fact. Receive Christ as their Savior on Wednesday at the encounter service. God is doing something. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy because you are so rich in them.